Welcome to Healthy Births, Happy Babies, where we share tips, tools, and stories grounded in natural childbirth and parenting principles, so that instead of feeling overwhelmed and confused during this exciting time in your life, you feel safe, supported, and empowered in your childbirth and parenting journey. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jay Warren. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Healthy Births, Happy Babies. I'm Dr. Jay Warren. I'm the prenatal and pediatric chiropractor here at the Cap Wellness Center. And on today's episode, I have Dr. Jennifer Margulis back with us. Uh, you will probably remember her from a previous episode uh, where she was on with Dr. Paul Thomas. The two of them are the co-authors of the Vaccine Friendly Plan. Uh, it's an excellent episode around vaccines. If you haven't listened to that, go back and do so. I believe it's episode 55. Um, but I brought her back today for another episode about her book, Your Baby, Your Way. Uh, Jennifer is a an investigative journalist. Uh, she does a lot of science writing, and it appears all over the internet and in different publications. And this book, Your Baby, Your Way, she really investigated the current medical practices around pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum care, and really shined a light on how some of those practices are outdated and not looking at what the evidence is showing and doing evidence-based care, and is really putting mothers and babies at risk. And so we're going to dive into that subject um, right after I take a moment to take a word from our sponsor, the Capuana Center. Hi, it's Dr. J, and one of the things I love about working at the Capuana Center is being able to play a role in bringing a baby into the world that much more safely, much more naturally, and much more healthy. You know, it's something that is an amazing gift to give a child uh, to have them start off their life healthy without the stress and the trauma that can all too often be a part of the birth experience. So, I consider it an honor to work with pregnant women to help them with that time during their pregnancy. And it is a privilege to be able to work with infants and help correct any distortions that might have happened through the birth process and allow them to start off their life healthy in alignment and in balance so that a health challenge doesn't hold them back from being all that they can be in this world. All right, so now let me take a moment to introduce our guest once again, Dr. Jennifer Margulis, and then we'll switch right over to our interview. So Dr. Jennifer Margulis is an award-winning science journalist and a book author, a Fulbright grantee, and a sought-after speaker. Her writing has appeared in many of the nation's most respected and credible publications, including the New York Times and the Washington Post. A meticulous researcher who's not afraid to be controversial, she is nationally known as a journalist who opens the eyes of the realities to the accepted practices in healthcare and medicine. She's passionate about investigating the overlooked dangers of mainstream practices, especially when scientific evidence is brushed aside in favor of special interest. Uncovering these issues is a matter of social justice, in her opinion. Not only is she the co-author with Dr. Paul Thomas of the Vaccine Friendly Plan, as I mentioned, we'd uh, had an episode on that, but she's also the author of other numerous books like Toddler, real-life stories of those fickle, irrational, urgent, tiny people we love, the baby bonding book for dads, building a closer connection to your new baby, and the book we're going to talk about today, Your Baby, Your Way, Taking Charge of Your Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Parenting Decisions for a Happier, Healthier Family. And with that, let me switch over to my conversation with Dr. Jennifer Margulis. 
Hello, Jennifer. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it, our listeners will remember you, Jennifer, from, uh, it was a couple episodes ago, we had you on with Dr. Paul, the book that you wrote uh, with him called The Vaccine-Friendly Plan. And today we're going to be talking about some of your other books. You've written many other books around like pregnancy and birth, as well as um, parenting. There's the baby bonding book for dads, toddler, real-life stories of those fix, fickle irrational, urgent, tiny people we love. I have a toddler at home. That's why I couldn't even uh, say that out loud. <laughs> and then obviously your baby, your way is what we're going to be talking about. But with all of that um, research and um, interest you have in it, how did that all start? I mean, you've written about a lot of different topics, but there, this obviously is a passion of yours. Yeah, I, I think I love to read about birth and I love to read about babies. And I've always thought of myself as a champion of people of, you know, a voice of the voiceless in some way. I used to work in human rights and we would, you know, champion all sorts of different human rights causes. And after I had my first baby in the hospital, I realized that there was so much that I didn't know about all the different things that affected how that birth, how that pregnancy and the birth went. And I started educating myself and I got so interested. I wanted to help educate other people too. Now, with that first birth, I mean, at, I mean, you don't have to tell us all the details about it, but did you come out of that birth thinking that the, you know, the medical system let you down, or was that something that you came to and originally? Because a lot of women will come out of a, a, say, a poor hospital birth thinking they did something wrong. Yeah, I mean, no, I thought I did something wrong, and I thought that the hospital saved my life. Um, mm. And it took me about, you know, four months of research and talking, and especially. I had a conversation with a midwife. I remember it so well. So my baby was born in Atlanta at Crawford Long Hospital, which no longer exists. It's part of the Emory University Hospital System. And we were poor graduate students. We weren't making a lot of money. We didn't have good insurance. And we really had only the choice, two choices. So we didn't have many choices of where to have the baby, or we didn't feel like we had the choices. And then Right after the baby was born, I got a bill from the insurance company saying that my pregnancy was a pre-existing condition and denying my birth, denying the entire birth. And the funny thing is that I had been insured for the last four years, so I didn't think I could have been pregnant for four years. <laughs> and the other thing is that I was really shocked when I looked at the bill because what I noticed was everything that I had not wanted. So I had gone into the hospital really wanting to have a natural birth using the hospital because that was what our insurance covered. And that's honestly where my husband felt that we would be safest. And afterwards he apologized to me and realized that he was wrong. And that actually that experience showed that being in the hospital is not necessarily safe for a low risk first time mom. And then I saw that everything, you know, the epidural that the doctor basically bullied me into having, um, the Tylenol that they gave you after birth, which is marked up 6,000% in the hospital compared to if I had brought a bottle from home. Um, you know, every intervention that I had, that I had hoped to avoid added an extra cost to that bill. And I was sort of in a state of shock and despair. And it really took a long time. I mean, I think it's like Stockholm syndrome. It took a long time for me to realize that a lot of what had happened actually didn't need to happen and that I what I what, what I had assumed was me not being able to have the birth that I wanted actually was me caught up in a system that makes it very difficult for women to have empowered births. 
Now, did you find, I mean, in your research, did you find, um, looking back at your own experience, that that was starting in your prenatal care, or is that really just occurring in the hospital room when, you're, when you went into labor? No, it all starts prenatally. So when you go to the doctor or when you go to certified nurse midwives that work in the, in a hospital-like setting, and let me say, every practice is different. Every doctor is different. I'm not meaning to you know specifically criticize any particular person, but you walk in there and the first thing that you realize is that your pregnancy is a potential disaster. So, you know, I was absolutely elated and thrilled. I had wanted to be a mom my whole life. I was so excited to be pregnant and they were treating me like I was sick. And I walked out of every prenatal appointment in tears. And, you know, from 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 this unbelievably aggressive uh, testing at the beginning of the pregnancy, which I had explained to the nurse midwives and I explained to the doctors that I wouldn't get an abortion. And they basically told me that my baby would die if I didn't do the testing that they wanted me to do. I mean, it was a really uncomfortable situation. And I was used to sort of doing what people asked me to do and following along. And I found myself at tremendous odds. And I don't know if we talked about this before, but you know, gestational diabetes testing is a great example. So they needed to check off on their list the, the gestational diabetes test, right? That was something that they had to do. And I asked a lot of questions. I said, well, what would happen if I if finds out if we find out that I have gestational diabetes? And they said, well, we would put you on a special diet. And I said, but what does that diet look like? And no one had taken a history of what I was eating. And I was incredibly sensitive to sugar in that pregnancy. They didn't know what I was eating. I was eating a very high quality protein, fruits and vegetables, mostly vegetables. I could not literally eat a square of chocolate without throwing up or without getting really sick. Um, I actually didn't throw up, but I would get extreme nausea. So I was already basically on a preventative gestational diabetes diet. And they said, well, we would put you on this diet. And I said, but I'm on that diet already. And the nurse midwife got very angry with me. And she said, you know what? You are going to buy yourself a C-section. That's actually the term she used. She used the word buy. I'll never forget it. She had her, her you know, finger. He, she had her um, <laughs> long fingernail in my face, you're going to buy yourself a C-section because what she was saying is we're concerned that your baby might be too large at the end of the pregnancy. Let's make sure you don't have gestational diabetes. And you know, the parts that she didn't tell me were how inaccurate the gestational diabetes test is, how lifestyle and nutritional choices make a huge difference. I mean, she didn't do her due diligence to find out the information she needed to see if I was at any kind of risk. It was just one size fits all. And what you're trying to fit is that pregnancy is a potential walking disaster as opposed to a state of good health. So I refused that test. And at the end of my pregnancy, they told me my baby was measuring too small and that I probably had intrauterine growth retardation. <laughs> so from start to finish, my prenatal care in the you know, in at, at in Atlanta, Georgia was really suboptimal. It included a lot of emotional bullying. And did you find um, that a lot of it came from being over-observed and over-tested throughout that process because it was viewed as that you had a medical condition? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what's going on is that it's a medical condition. It's, uh, you know, it's something to be afraid of. Um, it just that I wasn't getting sort of whole body, whole mind kind of care. I was getting just very conventional medical care. And the thing that's left out of that is that 
pregnancy is a state of tremendously good health. It's a state of heightened enjoyment. I mean, you know, I was, I felt very, I, I, it was hard for me to be pregnant in the sense that I had a lot of symptoms. I was very nauseous. At the same time, I was totally voluptuous. I was healthier than I'd ever been. I was exercising all the time. I was very, very friendly with my husband. He absolutely loves it when I'm pregnant. Like, there's so many things to celebrate, and we tend to lose how miraculous and wonderful and healthy it can be, or it should be, or it is to be pregnant. Right. Well, and it's something that uh, a lot of women, you know, going into the pregnancy and going into their prenatal care have that excitement and those same kind of feelings. But if your care provider is over-medicalized, then it becomes, you know, managing a disease state rather than, you know, the most natural thing in the world. And a lot of times the, um, you know, I say this all the time, is like if you're going into the hospital for a birth, naturally there's going to be a fear state that's triggered in every woman because when do you go to the hospital? When you've been in an accident or you're dying, right? But you're going into the hospital to have a birth, just start life and to do the most natural thing in the world. So there's a lot of education we need to do to kind of reframe that if a woman's choosing to have in the hospital. But I think more and more of what we're trying to do with this podcast and other education is to really kind of find a birth provider that's going to support you in what you want to do. And that can only come when you know what you want to do. So how do you recommend to women to start um, like asking questions or even learning what kind of questions to even ask? Yeah. Well, so it's true. I mean, I think you're right about the fear response being triggered for most women. At the same time, some women really are going to feel much more secure and safe if they're in a hospital environment, right? If you feel stressed when you go into the hospital then my best advice is to is to research um, birth centers and home birth opportunities because you want to be in the place where you're going to feel the the healthiest and the most supported and the most secure. It's really really important that you feel safe. Um, you know, if you feel safer in a hospital, it makes sense to be in a hospital. But then you do have to find a provider that does basically evidence based you know pregnancy and childbirth care, and that's what's really hard because. A lot of us are biased by our own experiences instead of by actually taking a look at, you know, what really is normal and what is really optimal for a pregnant woman. But I wanted to say something else. When you walk into a obstetrician's office, you get a very strong sense of who that person is because if they have advertisements on the walls, if they are, you know, if they have um, uh, magazines on the tables that have advertisements for infant formula, that have advertisements for McDonald's, that have advertisements for, you know, artificially laden prenatal vitamins, chances are that you're choosing a provider that doesn't actually know very much about natural physiological pregnancy and birth. And what I would suggest is you turn around and you walk back out and you go to a provider who really does. And that provider's office is going to have no advertising. They're not going to give you a goodie bag with formula samples in it at your six-week visit prenatally, which is what a lot of doctors do. You know, and if you walk into a birth center and you interview a midwife who delivers at a birth center, you're going to very quickly get a sense of what their philosophy is. And what pregnant women don't realize is that what your provider's philosophy is has a huge effect on how you end up giving birth because they're they're there for you. They're projecting their biases, their fears, or their joy and their support onto your labor and delivery. So it's very important to find someone who really 
shares your philosophy or who really supports you in how you want to have your baby. Right. And the same goes for, you know, linking back to your the b- title of your book, Your Baby, Your Way, is once the baby's here is choosing a pediatrician as well. Yeah. That's going to support you in the way you want your baby's health to be directed. Yeah. I mean, and the most important, if you're asking about how to choose a good pediatrician, um, you know, I think the most, or, or, or perhaps you won't have a pediatrician, perhaps you'll have a, you know, a naturopathic doctor, doctor or perhaps you have a pediatrician. Um, but, you know, one of the most important things about that too is finding someone whose philosophies are in line with yours, who are a pediatrician who's not going to be pushing you to take all sorts of medical interventions that you don't necessarily want or need either for you or for your baby. And someone also who doesn't accept money from the formula industry because the one thing you can do to ensure your child's lifelong health is exclusive breastfeeding. And it's also really hard. I mean, that sounds really simple, but you know, you just had a baby, you're full of hormones, your breasts are sore, you need tremendous amount of support around being able to successfully exclusively breastfeed. And if you have a pediatrician who hands you a bottle of premixed formula, you have a pediatrician who's disrupted your baby's health for the rest of his life. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and that's something, I mean, as far as breastfeeding is the most natural thing in the world, and it's a learned skill for for mama and for baby. And so that's something we're trying to educate women about too is that if it doesn't go super smooth the very first time, it, it's okay. Keep working at it and knowing the long-term benefits for breastfeeding at least for a year allows you to get through those first feedings and first couple of weeks that can be very challenging. Just even yesterday um, on a Sunday, I did a house call visit to an infant that's not been feeding well and um, just anything I could do to help that mama and baby get back to feeding um, is so important for, as you said, the rest of their life, not just so that mom and baby can have like the breastfeeding experience for, for just that sake, which is valuable right there, but for their long, the baby's long-term health. And what people don't realize is that the majority of pediatricians in this country are actually advertising formula. Mm -hmm. They're advertising formula in their offices. I mean, you walk into an office and they have a breastfeeding mom they're doing a consult with and there's formula, branded formula on the counter. I mean, and then you go into the waiting room and there's coupons for formula. They have freebies for formula. It's really... um, it's really astonishing that this is even legal in the United States. When I was doing research for Your Baby, Your Way, I went to Iceland and I went to Norway looking at cultures that have excellent, the, you know, the, the healthiest infants in the world. And I was asking the questions, why are their infant mortality rates so much lower than ours? And you know, one of the reasons is that it is not legal in Norway to advertise infant formula to pregnant women or to new moms. That's absolutely something that's seen as a conflict of interest with their nation's health, and they don't do it. So if a baby needs some kind of supplementation in the hospital, the mom is never told what brand of formula is used, and it's, you know, it's given on a little dropper or a little teaspoon so that they're not sticking a baby, a bottle in the baby's mouth and disrupting their ability to nurse. And so in those countries, um, in, what else did you learn about like their birth practices, prenatal practices? To uh, You brought up the infant mortality rate, and I think people would be astonished at how high 
our country, meaning the U.S., is relative to other countries because we think of ourselves as being such a healthy country, but really we have a very good medical system, but that doesn't really beget health. Well, we have a very expensive medical system, yes. right? Right. Um, no, I mean, in terms of maternal mortality and infant mortality, our medical system is failing. Um, in other ways, we have, you know, one of the best medical systems in the world. Um, you know, it's a it's a multi pronged approach, but it starts with a real commitment to vaginal birth. So. In Iceland and in Norway, two of the countries that I visited, you know, their cesarean section rates are like 14, 16%. I mean, it fluctuates from year to year, um, but they're, you know, they're so much lower than ours. And what people don't realize is that when you have a vaginal birth, you're seeding the baby's immune system with healthy microbes. So, you know, it's very important, not only for that squeezing action of the lungs to get the lungs out, the fluid out of the lungs, but also to to expose the baby from birth to the healthiest microbes, which then are gonna make up their immune system. So already, if we're starting off with, you know, more than, what's the number now, 32, higher than 32% of American babies are being born by C-section, and what people don't realize is that that is dramatically compromising their health from the minute that they're born. So that's the first thing. Exclusive breastfeeding and skin to skin are also, you know, proven to to increase the infant health and to reduce the infant mortality rate. Um, you know, and then and and there's so many other factors that come into this. But um, in Norway and in Iceland, women also get time off, and I think we know that stress plays a role in our immune system, and that the more stress you have, the more the less healthy you'll be. So I think when you have a whole culture that comes together to support new moms and to reduce stress that you also see that you have healthier, you have happier parents and healthier babies. And in your research over the years, what's your opinion on the trend in this country? Is it getting better or is it getting worse? Well, that's an excellent question. You know, so our maternal mortality rates are consistently going up and it's really disturbing because as other countries that have high maternal mortality rates and we really have the the number one maternal mortality rate of any country in the industrialized world. Countries that have subpar maternal mortality rates have been making those rates go down and we've seen a an upward trend with ours. Our infant mortality rates seem to be getting better and our breastfeeding initiation rates seem to be getting better. You know, whether those are corollary or causatory, it's very hard to say, but I will say that absolutely the number one thing you can do to ensure your child's best health is to exclusively breastfeed. And I think we literally have thousands of scientific articles, a peer-reviewed science that, that shows that to be true. So, you know, we seem to be getting a little bit better on our infant mortality rates, and we are definitely getting worse on our maternal mortality rates. And with that, like the initiation of breastfeeding, is that coming from a grassroots um, a media campaign, maybe not a media campaign, or is it something that's coming from women themselves and kind of the circles they're in, or do you think there's been a shift in the advertising that you've talked about? What did your research find? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question, too, and I'm not sure. I think any answer is necessarily going to simplify things. I will say that there are people, there are pediatricians inside the American Academy of Pediatrics who are working very hard to fix the AAP 
and to get their policies to be more pro-breastfeeding. They are a very vocal minority, unfortunately, because I would say that American women being disrupted in their in their breastfeeding goals is also coming from the pediatricians. People aren't doing this on purpose. They don't realize that when they have these nice coupons, I mean, I went to a hospital in Chicago and the nurse said, oh, women love it. They love the goodie bags. They love the free formula. They love the coupons. And this was an inner city hospital where we really, you know, women don't have the money to buy formula and will benefit the most from exclusive breastfeeding. And, you know, she had the best intentions. People sometimes do the worst things with the best intentions. Um, But I think there's a movement inside the AAP to try to change that and to try to increase our breastfeeding rates. And there really is an understanding among certain doctors and scientists that not even just one bottle. So I recently went to two different breastfeeding updates in the last few months. And one of the things that come up is not just, you know, just one bottle matters. And this is something that we have to be teaching the labor and delivery postpartum nurses and the doctors in the hospital and the hospitalists. Just one bottle can disrupt a baby's immune system basically for life. And it can also, you know, disrupt a mom and a baby's ability to breastfeed and that's a little bit of a hard message, but I think it's starting to come across. Mm-hmm. You know, also there's so so much amazing grassroots work being done, like with La Leche League, which is really just a mom-to-mom movement. Um, you know, when I asked the question in Norway, because Norway used to have terrible breastfeeding rates, and I talked to a doctor there named Gro Nylander, and I asked her what she thought had done it, and she really felt strongly that it was, you know, getting some really good scientific research and that it was really just a mom-to-mom movement and of course, good policies for maternity care. Like, I mean, for sorry, maternity leave. Like, when you feel that you have to go back to work in a few days, it's very hard to take the time that you need to establish a really good breastfeeding, you know, rhythm and feeling and everything else because you're so stressed out. You're about to go back to work, and so you know, countries where they have really good policies that are for moms to take times off and dads to take time off are also, you know countries that have excellent breastfeeding. I mean, in Norway, the vast majority, it's like 99% of women who leave the hospital leave breastfeeding. And at six months, the majority of those women are still breastfeeding, which is really, we need to model our system after the Norwegian system. Right. And what about within the OBGYNs? Do you see um, any kind of movement in the same way that you see with the pediatricians? Like there's a vocal minority or is that kind of status quo? Movement for what? Towards what? Towards more natural physiological birth being supported. I don't, I mean, you know, it really depends on who you talk to. There are tremendously wonderful OBs around the state, the you know, the United States. Um, at the same time, I think a very strong bias that the safest birth is an, is is a very aggressively managed birth. I don't think that obstetricians know very much about what really safe and healthy birth looks like. I think they do things the way that they've always done them, and they have you know very strong economic incentives to aggressively manage childbirth. And the bottom line is that the most scientific birth is the least technological, right? I'm borrowing that phrase from Alice Drager, who's an excellent researcher who was at Northwestern. And but. The other bottom line is that obstetricians do not understand that. So we do things that are proven to cause harm to women, that are proven to disrupt a woman's labor and delivery. It, you know, all you need to do is 
take a look at the peer-reviewed research to figure that out. And these are things that are being aggressively promoted by obstetricians. I think that they are very much a part of the problem. And I apologize to any obstetricians listening to your podcast who I might be offending. (laughs) Well, I mean, as you said, like it's not every single obstetrician and it's not every single pediatrician by any means. We're just wanting to be able to highlight the, the general paradigm. Uh, that a parent's going into, and then also to be able to know that there are people outside of that dominant paradigm that's disempowering um, to be able to seek those out. And also, you know, the people, even in the general paradigm, the people who disagree with it, they feel very strongly that their hands are tied. So, you know, a VBAC is a great example, vaginal birth after cesarean. We know that a healthy woman it's safer and healthier for her to have a vaginal birth after a cesarean than to have a repeat C-section. You know, absolute risk of C-section is much higher in terms of maternal mortality. And then the more times you have a C-section, the more risk you have to your, to your long-term health of the baby, of your, of the mom and of the baby. But there are so many obstetricians who understand that, but they say, well, you know, my hospital doesn't allow it. So I can't do it. So it's not that they themselves, even themselves, have had VBACs or they would choose a VBAC, but they say that their hands are tied. So I think we have, it's it's more complicated than any given provider. I think we are in a highly medicalized maternal care system that's failing moms. Right. So in our last minutes, like what would you say is a great take-home message for the mom listening um, around this subject? Like what would you... What would you um, really want them to hear from the message, but also maybe um, take action on? Um, So for people, pregnant women. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the most important thing I think is to surround yourself with people who can give you true support and to really understand that you, that, that pregnancy is a state of health and good health and to do everything you can to support that on your end. So, you know, you wouldn't, climb Mount Everest without training for it, right? So you really have to do exercise every single day, no matter how nauseous and tired you feel and no matter how much you don't want to. And then if you want to have, if you really want to have an awesome experience and really rock your childbirth, you know, which you will, if you want to, you need to make sure that you've got people with you who feel that way. Don't let anyone tell you scary stories. Don't let anyone, you know, don't let anyone's prejudice or bad vibes get into your space. Like, just understand that it's your pregnancy, it's your baby, you get to do it your way. Right. And, you know, you're you're being modest here. I'm going to reference your book as well as a means of women being able to just know what questions to ask. Um, I'll link um, to your book and to your website so they can get more resources there. But, I mean, that's, what, that's why you're on the um, podcast right now is your baby, your way, taking charge of your pregnancy, childbirth, and parenting decisions for a happier, healthier family. That's that's what we want for everyone. And so I know that your website and your books are just amazing resources. Um, listeners, I, I really encourage you to get the book, get involved, find out what you need to find out, and then start asking really great questions. Um, so Jennifer, too, the last question I always like to ask is, what little pearl of wisdom would you like to whisper into a baby's ear? Either they're here in the world and mama made it through um, birth experience, uh, or maybe they're still in mama's baby in their or belly, I should say, and listening to this. What would you like to whisper to them? Um, you know, I would say to the mamas, read your baby, not the, not any book. 
and not any scale. So, you know, the closer you can hold your baby to you and stay with your baby, or if you're not, honestly, some women have gone through childbirth and they don't quite know what to do with it. Get the dad or your partner to take his or her shirt off and get right in there with that baby and just love that baby and don't let that baby go. And then the other thing I would say to the baby is that, you know, humans are pretty amazing and we really are born perfect. We're born whole. We're born perfect. I would encourage people not to do anything to disrupt their little baby right after they're born. Yeah, that's so sweet. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for being here. Um, I'll make sure all the links are there for our listeners. And um, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about this episode and other natural childbirth and parenting topics, please visit us at capwellnesscenter.com or message us on our Facebook page with any questions you might have. We here at the Cap Wellness Center look forward to helping you and your family be as happy and healthy as you can be.